you're tuned in to conversations we are already having with Moon Goat Coffee, a SoCal-based company on a mission to make coffee easier, better, daily. We do that by putting people first, serving out-of-this-world products, and making our place of business a space for connection. In our everyday conversations, we interact with amazing people. Simply, we're taking an extra 30 minutes on conversations with our customers, suppliers, staff, and friends. This is your peek behind the curtain to join the herd. So, well, Josh Spera, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is conversations we're already having with Moon Goat Coffee, and uh, I'm joined today with the proprietor of WildRoots.Farm on Instagram, if I got that Instagram handle correct, did I? Yeah, I think you did, Dave. Perfect. Um, yeah. And you uh, and your wife run a small regenerative farm in New Jersey. Is that the best elevator pitch? Uh, I think that's a great elevator pitch. Um, and it allows us to sort of uh, um, incorporate that niche of regenerative agriculture being we have a bunch of small scale things that we're doing in different facets. Right. But everything is under that umbrella of trying to make the soil that we're using for vegetables better, make the chickens better and healthier. And uh, we haven't found a term other than regenerative that best describes that for people. That's awesome. And I met yesterday actually with another gentleman who uh, raises uh, chicks and does it in a style that probably would be akin to the way that you guys are trying to do things, but it's hard. I was talking yeah. to him at length for it. It's not like it's the easy uh, money-making way to do it. <laughs> no, it might not be the the cheapest way to do it, um, but there is a lot of re- a lot of reward to be to be received both on our part as you know farming in this style, and then for the things that we're producing that we're actually then eating, we have a, a potentially higher reward in it. You know, containing more nutrients, more macronutrients, all that fun stuff. Um, and things are, you know, closer to natural. Well, that's awesome. And just so you know, I did not have you on this podcast as a businessman, right? We're not, we're not giving <laughs> advice on the Moon Goat Coffee podcast, uh, in terms of finances or, you know, how to start a business, because if you're right. looking for that, you should probably not take any of the advice you're going to get later today. <laughs> if you're looking to make a quick buck, this is the wrong uh, way to do it. But I completely it, agree. <laughs> what I am hopefully talking to Josh about, uh, he sent a great email asking some questions, and I assume they relate to how he operates in his business and what values he's trying to hold. So I guess if I could come up with a title... What I'm looking at is how to balance values with practicality when it comes to agriculture. And uh, that's that's really the the short thing that I'm looking at is there's there's that mixture of, you know, what, trying to do it the right way and trying to do it in a way right. that's sustainable, not just um, agriculturally, but also economically, because that's right. the, the it's all intertwined. Nothing comes yeah. without the other part of it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's a great point you made that you can't, even if you want to do the right thing for whatever business you're producing, 
doing the right thing might not allow you to continue operating the business. Therefore, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you're absolutely. You have to constantly find that balance of being able to be sustainable, but also being able to stay in business. Sure. So you can continue to have a good effect for your market. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and from us, the motto is it's about focusing on progress rather than perfection. If you're headed in the right direction, uh, good things will come on that road, right? So. Um, it may not feel that way. Sometimes it's definitely bad <laughs> things on that road, but just to remember that the right direction is the, the key to that. But you sent an awesome email to us with a bunch of questions. Um, and gosh, when I read it, I was like, this is literally just like fodder for a podcast. These are like podcast questions. So basically uh, you did the hard work of, of coming up with the interview questions. I'll take the credit. And uh, <laughs> perfect. And I did the easy work of figuring out how to press record. So, um, Excellent. you know, I think that, that one of the questions and we'll talk a little bit more about Wild Roots, but for most people listening, they'll probably know about Moon Goat more than Wild Roots. And yep. uh, the question that you asked first was how many importers does Moon Goat work with? Um, and that's a that's a great question. And I would say, you know, actively who we paid this year, it's 10 different importers. Um, but we have used almost 10 more on top of that, that were we not necessarily have ended the relationship with. In fact, we've ended the relationship um, with zero of our importing right. partners. But um, with coffee, because it doesn't grow in the US, and I'm, I'm not lecturing Josh, I'm, I'm lecturing, you know, you people in cyberspace. Um, <laughs> any coffee that gets brought into the US needs to have a, an importer of title on the bill of lading. So some of those importers are the farmers, if that helps answer that question. And probably more than half are stakeholders in a farm um, and not just uh, just an import partner. So they will have done something in the agro uh, you know the agronomy cycle uh in the countries where they're at right so um and I, I, now i guess as i answer these questions please tell me a want more detail or hey when i ask that question i'm looking for this i i almost want to see like what was your thought process right <laughs> yeah the the beginning of the thought process and why i started there was from my experience with farming on the small scale, something that we, we can offer people is a close connection to where their food is coming from. Mm. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to sort of highlight that with specialty coffee, with the sources, their, their coffee beans, not only sustainably, but also I want to say relationally, mm. where they can have conversations with, importers, growers, farmers, like throughout the entire, entire um, supply chain, yep. those places that build those relationships are going to be able to be, um, they're just going to know a lot more about the product. Yeah, no, and, and I absolutely agree with you. It is interesting. There are a few different sources where small scale farming is not the norm. Um, right. it, the, the majority of coffee farms are small. Um, probably similar size to your farm. How many acres are you on? Um, you could call it just about five. Yeah. And that's, that's five. a very like similar plot size to what you would see 
all across Central America. Right. So in those areas, for example, our Costa Rica farm that we work with primarily, we buy out the entire farm and it's smaller than five acres. Wow. Um, so we have the distinct like privilege, but also responsibility to tell their yeah. story really well because we're the only people telling it. Yeah. And so yeah, that if you, if you hold their whole, their whole produce for a season yeah, or you're, you're basically their only sale for the season, then their continuing success depends on how you can portray the quality of what they're providing you. That and what's interesting is we have to figure out you know what to do with even the stuff that maybe is not perfect right and just like produce some of the stuff that's totally edible and has a place some coffee roasters would deny those things and and make the decision based only on quality which is important to be sure but even for us we try to find what can we do with this scrap coffee so you know that's where we mm-hmm. like even partnered with the soup kitchen down the street and said hey what are you doing for your coffee like are you ever buying it perfect how much are you buying it for awesome right. we'll match that probably not make any money but at least not lose money hand over right. fist and find a home for that coffee yeah um so but yeah that the i mean it's a great question that that has like a it's it's loaded right because they're, it's they're, not, all loaded. they're all loaded which is why <laughs> well, i was like i'm not going to answer this in an email are you kidding me yeah and and because of the the opportunity or the realization that so many things are connected oh yeah and everybody drinks coffee and sure there are people that don't drink coffee but basically it's such a staple in our culture that we don't appreciate necessarily where it's coming from all the time yeah and how it came to make you know black gold drink that we drink in the morning <laughs> well and and that's a great point because to me it's gosh we we take it for granted fully and i could probably tell people we dig it out of the ground right now and they would believe <laughs> me, right when it yep. is for sure picked off of an evergreen shrub uh-huh. uh, halfway across the world for the most part yep. and it, it's Almost all the coffee you ever drink is picked by hand. The biggest producer Crazy. does a lot of mechanized picking, but right. uh, in Brazil. But overall, it's it's uh, still a hand picked, handcrafted mm-hmm. product from start to finish. And and for some reason, that like story gets completely lost. But yeah. I had a professor in college uh, who he was a supply chain management professor, and he was like wow. the first thing he said in his class was. If I can teach you one thing that it should not stop using the word supply chain, even though this is supply chain management 300, he said, um, and start using the term supply network, because the more that you can have a network and a a loop back to uh, the place that you are procuring the products, the better those products will you know, come on time. And this is, gosh, this is a while ago before the most recent, you know, time of, of, uh, supply chain troubles. Oh my goodness. Like nothing you've ever seen before. And I think if we had, if we were really in tune with it as a network, instead of a chain where, you know, if one link in the chain breaks, everything breaks, but in a network, you can close the gap a lot easier or you can, um, you know, 
have a more holistic approach to how things get from A to B. That was his whole point. And I really try to take that to heart as we source coffee too, is being understanding, always having a plan B um, and, you know, not, and, and doing it in a relational way. It's not just to be conniving and to get coffee faster, better, cheaper. It's like, no, it's to, it's to make the relationship even stronger. Right. Cause you could, and that's the interesting thing. And that's why I, I like to ask those questions. Cause you could be pursuing a path that is faster, cheaper, more profitable. Like that's, that's an option that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, and it seemed as though, as though you guys at Moongood are, are not putting it to the shelf, not like denying that, but you're choosing to prioritize something else. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be sure we need to be, even the word profitable, it, it, of course, that's that's the way that everybody thinks about it. But for me, I think of like that bottom number at the end of the PL is like, okay, this is our reinvestment, and that's right. like our ability to be sustainable. So, yep. and, and we probably have a, a staggeringly low number. Um, I want to keep, you know, if you give me a dollar wholesale, I want to keep less than 10 cents of it. Right. Like I want to use the other 92 cents on the dollar to pay for everything that has to happen along the process. And even those last eight cents on the dollar really go towards buying things to do what we're doing better and bigger. Right. And that's that's the way that I look at it instead of trying to grow the margin hand over fist, if I'm trying to find a cost savings, it's just so that I can borrow from Peter to pay Paul, right? It's just so that I can, <laughs> so I can buy a wild roots t-shirt or something. Oh man. The love we feel about that. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And I, I think there's something to be said about the scale of operations um, that do that when you, when you're under a certain um, scale, you almost are forced to, reinvest anything any margins oh yeah like if if there's any time where you have margins um you're going to put it back into your operation to either keep the supply Mm -hmm. steady to improve the quality of the supply uh to improve the end product for your customers to improve the customer experience totally uh to make things more efficient like you're just um you're not going to have to make decisions that if it was a much larger scale of everything, you have to make decisions based on numbers, which, which begins to gray the line between those relation, those relationships that you can have right all throughout that, that supply network. Yeah. 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 I really like that term. Yeah. Me too. And, and I think like, even when I was talking to, when I talked to anybody, you have to get to a certain scale where you can be sustainable because it's a hobby up until, you can buy big enough things to actually make a, a decent margin right because we're we're playing a different game but with the same rules that everybody else has so you <laughs> you still need to like you still need to be good enough at the game by the like uh by the rules that exist even when you're playing it even though you're trying to redefine those rules it doesn't yep. quite happen all at once yeah you have to acknowledge that there is a game to be played 
even if you want to play by different rules. <laughs> exactly. like you didn't choose the rules when you started exactly. and you might want to change the rules. Yep. And that's yep. the whole like eco movement. I, I see a lot of people that want to move our culture to a more sustainable everything. Yeah. And there's nothing you can say against that. That's a great goal. Yes. We should be more sustainable in everything that we do. Uh, I agree. Uh, so but the rules that we, yeah, go ahead. No, no. Talking about the rules, it's a perfect segue to you say, are there any sources that can export directly? And um, that that goes right to rules, <laughs> right to right, yeah. USDA. Because you brought up the customs form that has to be stamped or whatever when they get imported. So yeah. So the tell me about that. I don't know anything about that. Exactly. So depending on the country, they may require a similar. Um, kind of form an export declarations form um a customs form the u.s for sure requires to see the bill of lading that's a a standard by the u.s commercial code is to see a a bill of lading and they want to know who shipped it and who received it now for example let's talk about the country that's got the most structure and the country's probably got the least structure that we buy coffee from um kenya is the one with the most structure it's an east wow. african country uh it it does have some water access but for the majority you could determine it as not a, a port seeking country um right. in that most of that coffee goes to the port of eritrea uh similar to ethiopia which makes it more complicated makes it exchange hands at least once mm-hmm. before it even leaves the country um and everything also can't be sold from the farmer to us it's illegal for us to buy from a farm in kenya directly it has to go through the government uh regulated exchange um and they say that it is to provide there to keep us safe yeah it's to keep us safe and and to provide more value to the farmers now there, most farms are probably three to, you know, 15 hectares, which would be, you know, you're talking about a decent a, amount. Yeah, decent amount, but still small in the world of farming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, I would say that probably still under the average size of a quote unquote farm in the world. Yeah. Especially in the U.S. Um, lots smaller That's than true. the average farm in the U.S. Um, and it's really hard to tell a great story about Kenyan coffee. And it's really hard to know that the data you're getting on your Kenyan coffee is accurate because right. it goes through an exchange. They, the, because the, the government does mandate, um, the government mandates what varieties you can grow. You kind of know what you're getting. Yeah. But it's really not an exciting place to buy coffee. Now, juxtapose that with the most open and free place that you could uh, get coffee from. And it's hard to say like what is, but it's almost an extreme on the other side. For example, let's say Ecuador. Right. They have um the most unbelievable growing conditions super similar to kenya kenya has got unbelievable growing conditions let's not annual percentage of rainfall elevation 
Um, they got a lot going for them. All these things that you need to grow coffee because it's a princess plant. It, you could not grow coffee in New Jersey. No. You, People it, have tried. Yeah. Even with greenhouse and, yep. you know, it would be really difficult to get the level of UV, the level of rainfall, and the temperature yep. range that it desires. But these countries have that just given to them, you know. As a gift. As a gift, right? Ecuador is the opposite problem. There's no government infrastructure and there's no, there's not enough um, freedom in the private sector to get things out. So I could just talk to some guy walking down the street and be like, you just go down and you ship it. Like we ship UPS packages. Not quite that easy, but they could, (laughs) right? Yeah. They could just bring a bag and pay the guy enough money to get it from A to B. Um, now they don't because there's not the, there's not the knowledge. There's, there's, there's a skills gap and a knowledge gap, but there's not a constraint by the government there. So that's, there isn't a regulatory constraint. Correct. But then there's countries that you know all about for coffee, Costa Rica, Colombia, Brazil. Um, and I think that they've got the right level of government um, it, it's similar to the USDA, right? Where they've got something to say, Hey, you should not be putting this stuff into your coffee. For example, in Costa Rica, it's illegal to grow Arabica and Robusta side by side. And that's Absolutely. because that'd be like you growing, you know, cotton candy grapes and, um, you know, uh, another type so of, grapes. yeah, it's like, it doesn't really make sense. It is weird that the government would regulate it, but it's because people were trying to defraud, you know, people halfway across the world and selling uh, okay. cheap coffee instead of the good stuff. Right. So, you know, and some people might think that that's over. It, it can sound like on its face overreach, but when you really understand the industry, no, no farmer worth their salt is mad about that. <laughs> it, right. They're like, oh yeah, of course we would never do that. Right. It's almost like right. the commercial code for like electrical work. You know, any electrician worth their salt's not going to get mad about a code requirement. It's only the guy who's learning, doesn't understand. Who's trying to bend rules. Yeah. Doesn't understand all the consequences that is going to get mad that he can't put an outlet you know, here, right. <laughs> or drill a big yep. hole through a stud. Yeah. Once he gets a little bit more experience, he's going to be like, Oh yeah, I should never do that. <laughs> and <I> have, <laughs> we have to make a role rule for the person who's never done it before to never do it. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. And, and one, and one bad, one bad apple spoils, spoils a whole lot. Exactly. So you have, you have a farmer in this country that, you know, plants Arabica on the inside and robust on the outside. So it looks like it's, an entire farm of one, one species Yep. when it's actually not. And he's committing fraud. And now, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the origins we buy directly from probably the one we have the best relationship is Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, and, and we visited there multiple times. They grow what we like about them. And even the coffee that I'm drinking this morning is a San Roque from Costa Rica and I think it was in one of the subscription packs. If not, it's coming out in this next month. Um, Excited for it. Yeah. And what's cool about this is it's an heirloom variety. Um, and it's neither uh, either of the um, commonly cultivated 
species of coffee. Tell me more. Tell me more. What, so I know heirloom tomatoes from my industry, yeah. and that, that means that these tomatoes are from the same genetic strain, and they're not you know, crossed with anything else. But Right. And, and so for in coffee, the word heirloom means you can go up one order in the genetic um, classification to species right. instead of you know variety. You can go up to species, and it's a different species, still under the genus Caffea. Okay. So it is definitely coffee. Right. But a Robusta coffee will have um, a lot more acid and a lot more uh, caffeine. It really does not taste pleasant. You can probably think of the worst cups of coffee you've had, and they're Robusta. It might be Robusta. Yeah. And then the best cups of coffee have certainly been Arabica. This is somewhere where it has all the delicate, pleasant flavors of Arabica. It's got a distinct savory note. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for us, we're putting on the, the tasting notes thyme as the first one. Fascinating. Which is unique because yeah. it, it is process, it's grown, processed, roasted so delicately Usually savory is a byproduct with Arabica of something going wrong in the process. Okay. Because it'll just musky, right? You know, it's like. Right. It makes you think of like a little bit more harsh or yeah. strong or tough or. But no matter yeah. how delicately this coffee is produced, grown, processed, shipped, roasted, it's got that savory twinge. And for me, I rather like it. Right. But it is not Arabica, right? It is not that that speciality of like um, the coffee that we know as being sweet, a little fruity, you know, whether or not you like fruitiness. It's like all coffee has it. It's just either blunted, burnt or expressed well. Um, and fruits have a wide variety of flavor, right? So you can get yeah, a fruit you like. Everybody likes some fruit. <laughs> you know, there's. I'm hard pressed for the guy who doesn't like a fruit. You're right. So, and you know, tomatoes are a fruit, right? So you can get, you can get the expression Absolutely. of a tomato. So <laughs> tomato, a banana is also a fruit. So, and coffee yeah. is, let's not be mistaken. It's a tropical fruit, right? Yep. No matter how much you want uh, it to taste. Could you, could you walk me through the, hierarchy of classification for the coffee plant you said genus and species um because the only the only two varieties and i'm, I'm using the term variety yeah. probably out of ignorance nope. that i've ever heard of coffee are arabica and robusta yeah so and those are the two um main species um so you know you've got the plant kingdom and then you've got a bunch of different uh classes um, and you know, angiosperms right. is probably a class you would know of. Right. Uh -huh. Um, and they are angiosperms, which, you know, really is defined by the fact that it's a hidden seed or a flowering plant. Right. Yep. Um, and then, you know, there's a bunch of classes that, that used to be classified as Jasmine because the flowers oh. smell, look, taste like Jasmine. And, uh -huh. um, then you've got uh, the bed straw family or matter family that it that it's deeper into, um, mm -hmm. and that's because it it does have um, uh, you know simple opposite leaves right, um, 
and then you've got uh, actinomorphic uh, flowers, which means that um, the flowers actually um, are the uh, initial, I guess, food for what turns into the actual fruit, um, flesh, and skin. Um, right. Coffea, Coffea arabica, and Coffea, um, it's it, the actual name for Robusta is Canifora. Um, okay. And so then this one, the, there's about 125 other ones. And this is one of them. Um, and genetically, I, I am blanking on which one of the other wild, you know, genotyped coffees this is. Mm-hmm. But under Arabica, and not so much under Robusta, but under Arabica, we've got another like 125 varieties. Oh, and that would be like beefsteak, Roma, yep. you know, those kinds of things. They're all the same, right? right but a tomato is a tomato. Right. But but even more so, like, they're all from one tomato that one guy had and, you know, selectively oh, wow. bred closely. to be bigger or selectively bred to be smaller. Okay. So the genetic material is, like, very much, you know, the same. And, um, you know, I guess it's like the, the hard – it's like dogs, right? Dogs are forked at – wolves are a different species than a dog. Right. Right? They're in the Canis genus, but they're a different species. But a Chihuahua and a Great Dane feel really different, just like a cherry tomato <laughs> and a beefsteak feel really different, right? Right. But I think you and I are total geeks for like, hey, what about that? Like, what's a coyote? You know, like is a coyote exactly? And yeah, and can it's I have that as a somewhere, pet? right? <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. so that's what these coffees are, and that's what's really cool. However, even still, like at that fork of dog, like what I'm, what we're looking for is like these are co- we like to source as much coffee as possible that will exist in a hundred years and not just, you know, totally be warped into something unrecognizable or, you know, like, just like dogs, like great Danes, they don't live more than 10 years. Right. Because they've been selectively bred to be really not sustainable. Right. And, and I'm sure you see that with seed stock. Yeah. We have that with seed stock selection and the, the vegetable crops and the herbs that we choose to grow are ones that we want to either be a quick one-year crop um, or be something that that is, like you said, more sustainable where we can have 80% of the crop that we harvest for what it produces in the fruit and we leave 20% in in the field so that we can collect the seeds because it's a strong enough plant to where we can collect the seeds and use those same seeds for next year and we will still have the same product. We'll still have the same vegetable that comes out next year. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, that's the, I guess that's what we're, anybody is really trying is trying to do, but a lot of people do it with methods that can be really harmful for future generations. Right. Right. Yeah. So so the, I want to get through the last three questions. Um, Yeah. You know, there are some that can export directly, but are there any that, uh, we deal with directly, or is it all through an importer? So again, technically everything has an importer, but when I look down our list, um, 
more than half of these people on the list um, as importers of our 10 vendors that, that I've got yeah. to check to this year. Um, you know, Dos Ninas, her dad runs the farm in Guatemala and she lives here and deals with the import farmers project right. in Costa Rica. Um, Green Bean Asia uh, boots on the ground in uh, Asia. Um, right. At Cresco uh, Coffee Imports is um, a partnership with the farm in Colombia. And uh, JC Coffee is Brazil, um, and they're the the leading grower and importer, uh, or leading Brazil grows the most coffee. So that's a pretty yeah. unique relationship to um, deal with the people on that. That's the hardest one. That was the one we had to work the most. But wow, it's also the coffee that we buy the most of um, in volume. So we wanted right. to really make sure that was good, even though it was it's easy because it's affordable and people like the flavor. Um, and then benchmark in, um, Papua New Guinea, which, you know, what I did not realize until you look at it on a globe, but the Island chain of what we think of as Indonesia stretches further than Southern California to Maine. So we have two sources in, uh, East Asia and, it's interesting because I was like, is that overkill? And then I, you look on the map and you're like, <laughs> they are so far apart. That's like saying you get your, you know, avocados from California and your tomatoes, you know, or your, your aubergines, your, your eggplant from New Jersey. It makes a little bit more sense when you look right. at the map. You right? would totally do that. That's totally acceptable. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Instead of, you know, cause you don't want to unnecessarily just like, you don't want to shop to death the vendors you find a good one you develop right. a relationship you give them your priorities with sourcing with you yeah. know development what's your five and ten year plan and make sure that they are into it and then you just keep going right right as much as possible that's the goal at least yeah um but hopefully that hopefully you're getting some decent answers to the questions oh no these are these are these are the answers i'm looking for good and then visiting we've definitely visited um Every continent uh, that grows coffee besides Africa. Um, and we, we do work with, uh, that's another one, Kefa we work with. Uh, Samuel Demise um, is a third generation uh, coffee producer that now um, has kind of delegated a lot of the coffee production side of things and now does the import side in, in the oh, States. Wow. So that's a really cool opportunity to, he's, doing great work with trying to help on the economic side here, right? Instead of, um, you know, continuing to do the agronomy side, which is as important, um, and especially in in Ethiopia, it's the birthplace of coffee. So they have all the genetic diversity. So, wow, you know, 98% of the genetic diversity is in Ethiopia. And of the other 2%, it's pretty much split between Madagascar and Yemen. Wow. Which are like the two places that got it one by accident, one by like literal Trees, know, bird migration, birds. right? Yeah. You know, birds, birds eat the berries, eat the whole thing. Yeah. Carry it a, a thousand miles or however long they migrate. Yeah. And Probably Yemen because it got stolen uh, from Ethiopia wow. and, and planted in Yemen. But so many different types got stolen that there's some like, you know, cool genetic diversity there. Yeah. 
So that's fascinating. Yeah, it's. I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast about all that <laughs> history. Stuff. Oh my goodness, but that's what we should do. And then the last one that I think is super important, and and, and we should kind of uh, talk just a bit about what do you do when you visit, because it's not just for vacation. But I think the most important question that that um, you know is is a good one is has any of our coffee been lab tested for? I believe you said antioxidants or mycotoxins, right? And, uh, or, or maybe you said, uh, active acids, but, um, the way I look at that is, you know, antioxidants and good things and bad things. (laughs) Yep. And we've done a mass spec on some of our coffees. Um, and some of our, um, producer partners will do specific tests for specific microtoxins. Right. Um, but What's interesting is for the most part, the roasting process, once you're done, you're not going to have any mycotoxins left, even um, even if they may have existed, because you're basically roasting this thing to like, you know, it's more cooked than any well done steak. Well, what is the first crack point? Two, 202 degrees? Uh, it's Celsius. Wow. So... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're talking about your internal temp on every coffee seed once it comes into the cooling tray is going to be at minimum uh, 400 degrees Fahrenheit, at minimum, right. and sometimes up to 440, right? Like that's, you'll mm-hmm. have some outliers at that end. And that's what we geek out on is that that temperature gradient, right? It's like slow right, roasting right. until the very end, and then it's like, you are cooking, right? You are sauteing <laughs> and, and trying to figure it out at the very last little bit. Right. Um, but with the mass spec, what you find is it really just what is the farmer doing at the beginning? Because you cannot add any of that. You can't add the good or the bad at the end. So you tested it green and we've done right. mass spec. And what you find is that it is so much like if it, if it looks good on the farm, if it ta- if it looks good at green and if it tastes good roasted, you find you have higher um, quantities of chlorogenic acid, which is great. Right. And that chlorogenic acid, when we've done mass spec green and mass spec roasted, and for the most part, what you're going to get is a prevailing number of like okay, it's seventy two percent cellulose, right, right, and then it's twenty eight percent something else, and of that twenty eight percent. Uh, of something else for the most part it's you're going to get a lot of high acid readings uh, on both mm-hmm. sides um mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of um uh saccharide readings so carbohydrates right which most people don't think of coffee as having carbs and because uh you know but they're, they're not the kind yeah. of they're not like simple carbs right these aren't like the right. carbs you have in your bread it's not bread <laughs> no no uh, um and and it's it's basically fruit fiber. It's like prebiotics, right? If you wanted right. to, if you wanted to like market it really like fancy, the it, fiber is a better, um, it's, it's car. They are carbohydrates, but they're non digestible carbohydrates. Your body cannot. Right. That's why some people poop really fast when they drink coffee is like you're ingesting all these non digestible carbohydrates by your stomach, Fascinating. but they're great for your gut health, right? Your probiotic yep. Uh, biome loves these non-digestible oligosaccharides, polysaccharides, monosaccharides, all these saccharide right. uh, based. It's denatured fruit seeds. It's 
pretty cool when you look at that. But what we're looking for is uh, primarily acid, CGA, chlorogenic acid, which in abundance on the green side is going to be abundant flavor on the roasted side. And we're able to, or you, after it's roasted in the cup, you're able to d detect or perceive these CGAs as different flavors that, yep. that we would notice yep. on our palate. Exactly. So the, C the, the CGA is pretty generic. What's unbelievable though, is like you, um, you see the CGA um, as one thing on the green mass spec. And then on right. the roasted mass spec, it comes back and they actually can tell you the composition of the acids that are citric, tartaric, phosphoric, all these different acids. So the, the, the chlorogenic acid gets complicated. <laughs> Which is it gets complicated or, or does, it, does it begin to change because of the heat of roasting? Correct. Yeah, so you're or literally it, changing it. I don't want to use the term break down because I don't know the process, but it does. It, might, it, it is the actual well, it breaks, breaking down. It breaks down and then it rebuilds, right? Right. It would, it would bond so, with itself or other things, yep. and it creates different chemical compounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the biggest toxin you see in coffee, wholesale on green and roasted, absolutely the biggest toxin is the carcinogenic thing that you know of as ash fascinating so um car free carbon in in a ash format is the biggest toxin you'll see in coffee but nobody really wants to talk about it because they like their dark roasted coffee that's got lots well, of ash lots of ash that's 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 burnt wood that's just burned that's yep. just char it's, right? it's free if carbon it, cellulose that has completely completely lost anything good and the, the reason that it's free is that it's, it's, it has it physically come off. Like, is it fit, that carbon has physically broken off? From it has just the... been, it's been mistreated or, or mixed in with something. And uh, on the green side, you're always looking at usually less than 1% ash, but that ash right. comes from machine equipment where right. a seed gets stuck, gets ground up and, so, you know, they're going so fast, you know, oh, yeah. their tolerances are too loose and they're mm -hmm. not sorting well enough that they're getting enough crunched up and they're creating ash by just being sloppy. Right. It's, it's, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't necessarily be a part of the perfect system, No, but there are ways that it can enter a system. Absolutely. Through harvesting through mechanics that makes yep. sense yep through the through the mechanization of the process so the more handcrafted the less likely you're gonna have to have ash and then roasting obviously you're cooking it so you're gonna have at least one percent ash um as a so that's why it's the biggest thing right because these small toxins right. right um gosh you mentioned a couple specific ones but mold right is going right. to always be way less than one percent and is mostly going to be on the green side. So what we do, the the simple test that we do, is we look at all our coffee under black light. Fascinating. I never would have thought of that. And then you're going to see uh, fungus. Green and roasted? Green, mostly. Roasted, you mostly can green. maybe see some spotting of oil or some, you know, like discolorations. Right. You're not going to see, and black light is by no means an empirical scientific way to, to test no. it. But... 
when we get green coffee as a sample and we see yeah. some activity that looks like it's biological, you know, some sort of fungus <laughs> on the coffee, that is like strike one, two and two and a half, right? That's like, all right, yeah. unless you can give me a reason why this fungus would, you know, potentially be in the sample and not be in the whole lot, we're going right. to we're going to have to We're going to go it. by this sample representing the whole lot. Right. And that's hard, is, right? It's 350 grams out of, you know, 3500 pounds. Oh my lord. So wow. you're talking about less than 1 pound, you know, less than 1 uh, over 3500, right? Yep. So it's, it's a it's a small representative scale and sometimes a bad, you know, bad apple ruins the whole bunch to quote you earlier. It's, Right, it's true, but you don't have any other frame of reference. No. And so and it is hard because you don't want to just wholesale deny it. So you can look at ways to treat it. Decaffeinating is an easy way to make sure you get rid of all the fungus. Which is a process that happens in the green coffee? Yep. Right. Um has to happen in the green coffee. Um and then uh you know the the Biggest thing that happens though on green coffee from our coffee, because we do deal with a lot of farms that are probably trying to make you proud, is <laughs> uh, insect damage. Right. Okay. Because they're not spraying pesticides. I was just going to say, I hear insect damage, and from my point of view, I, I smile and I think that's so natural, I'm grateful for it. Yep. It's an incredible pain to farmers. It costs us money. Yeah. However, that means in you know in an American mindset, that means it hasn't been covered in pesticides. Right. Um, and that means that there is enough uh, biodiversity where the farm is that natural predators to these beautiful coffee cherries are saying, "Hey, there's cherries there. Let's go eat them." Yep. And and what's great about this, Josh, is that like even our coffees that aren't certified organic. Papua New Guinea, it's like, again, it's a huge bummer. There's a ton of insect damage in the coffee, right? And it's like, well, they're not right. even certified organic yet, but they're doing the uh -huh. right work. And even when, when we got it, it was like, hey, we're going to still keep this. We're going to figure out a use for it. We'll roast it. Mm -hmm. Insects will all die. Don't worry. But, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, that's that 1% ash you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there'll be more Jokes. like 2%. But um, <laughs> the the reason we did that was like, gosh, we really do want you to keep trying the methods. And we hope that there's enough other roasters buying your coffee that are willing to deal with insect damage this one year. It doesn't completely ruin the flavor of the coffee either. That's what's unbelievable. Insect right. damage is the, is the taste that you would least say like if I gave you a bunch of different defects and, and next time you're in California, you come by because I pull out all the different defects and, and label them. Oh, that sounds like fun. And we can look through them. And then you taste coffee that has even like you would think severe, like irreparable insect damage. And it still tastes better than any of the other defects. That's fascinating. And because it, it is just, the most natural thing that can happen to coffee. I was, I was going to say, if you didn't say it. Yeah. So yeah. 
That's so what, that, that, am I allowed to ask bonus questions? Yeah, no, ask as much. No, that, that's, that's what we could, should make sure we spend the last little bit is, is I spent most of the time talking, but I did want to make sure I got through all your questions. So ask oh, as no, many bonus good. questions Priorities. as you want. Yeah. No, that, that this, the, the end of this conversation segues into my thought of, um, is, is a sustainable approach for coffee farmers in your experience with, with roasters and where you've been is the sustainable approach. Um, I, I just want to say theoretically possible. Like, is there, is there enough evidence or are there enough farms that are saying or telling the story that we are farming in a sustainable, consistent way that also is profitable so that their farm can continue for, like you said, the next generation. Yeah. Or even a couple generations from now. It makes me worried. When you're like answering that question, I'm not confident that I can say like, oh my goodness. Well, so let, let me let me add on top of that, there's I, I've I've had the distinct pleasure of being able to visit just a few farms in my area on the East Coast. Um, not so much when I lived in California because I was almost uh, ignorant to agriculture. Right. Um, and so one of the most encouraging things uh, for GNI starting Wild Roots, knowing that we wanted to commit to being a regenerative farm was right. having other people in other places, other examples saying, hey, we're farming in a way that is creating more life in the soil, uh -huh. is producing higher yields, um, is handling pest you know, problems, and it's, and, it's, and it's been working out for a number of years. Right. Um, and we can then hear those stories and think, oh, my gosh, sustainability is possible. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot that we think about with sustainability, with 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 culture, with, you know, being the United States and being, you know, a world leader in what we're doing with energy or communications or technology. Like everybody wants to be sustainable. Yeah. But very few people are saying, hey, we've been doing this for X number of years in this way. Mm -hmm. And it is sustainable. Well, and I think that's what's cool about what you're doing is even in my mind, I can show some of these places that are right behind the U.S. in terms of influence, being able to use social media as a, as a right. good tool. Because that's mm -hmm. what I love about you guys is I feel like I know enough about what you're doing to have a conversation about what you're what you can even help coffee farmers with because of what you post on Instagram and I think in the coffee industry the hard part is the story has been so lost for so long yeah people are if they're disconnected from how their you know celery gets on their table they are doubly disconnected from how their coffee gets in their cup. I, I would imagine, yeah. So it just motivates me because I think I only got into this business really by way of agriculture. Uh -huh. I, I would likely not be in the coffee industry if it weren't an agricultural product. Just because I think that that's... That's the work that needs to happen in our generation. You know, hopefully you and I will be able to look back on our careers and say, 
we were at least going in the right direction, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I'm not trying, trying to leave the place better than when we found it. Amen. Right? Yep, absolutely. That's like the that would be the best motto. So, yeah, you know, I, I good follow up question. It's sadly there. I, I feel if I think about it for too long and if I don't, if I try to look at too many factors, I'll get, you know, anxious. Right. And that's that's counterproductive. Yeah. So I just so, focus on what I can do, right? Focus on what I right. can do and keep trying to put one foot in front of the other. And that's my motivation to grow in right. reality because I don't have that like, I don't want to be a millionaire. You know, I don't, I don't want, I don't even like nice cars, right? I right. like, like function um, in, in vehicles. And I don't really want to be, of course, I want to have enough money to have the things that I want. I'm a, I'm a human. I'm selfish. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> But, right. um, you know, my motivation to grow really does stem from like, I can have more impact, but I want to do it in a very like slow and sustainable way so that I can continue as I bring on staff, make sure that they really understand deeply, like, what are we trying to do? Not right. And, and I'm sure you have these products for us. Our top selling items are not ones that completely 100% support our mission, but they really pay the bills and right. they pay the bills so that we can have these fun coffees that do 100% support our mission. Right. I feel like that's, that's what you sort of, um, oh, what was that phrase? You mentioned it earlier. Um, that, that speaks to sustainability for moon goat as, as an entity. Right. Where in order to be on the right path, doing the right thing, there are certain things that will happen and you'll, you, there are certain tolerances that you'll have. Yeah. You have because to. it allows you to continue to pioneer something that you believe in. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And there's, you know, the, oh, it was, it was playing by rules. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> those, you know, those products that might not embody 100% of your desired sustainability might might just be a result of the rules that you were the rules of the game that you, that you were given or stepped into. Yep. And yep. you might be trying to change the rules of that game by produce, by, you know, following a more sustainable product. And, and I will but be the first to can't, say, if you can't play the game, yep. you're, you're going you're to be out. And I think you mentioned something and it, the way that I've been speaking about this the whole time. So Bonus points if you get to 55 minutes in a podcast for anybody listening. That's right. But uh, you'll hopefully be able to tell the people who tuned out after 20 minutes this message. And to me, it's that we're only here, Josh and I, and hopefully you can agree with this, because of the people that went before us and did things the right way as well. I'm totally standing on the shoulders of giants in this arena and you mentioned this by uh, by um not necessarily explicitly but implicitly you implied this so hopefully you agree in my mind i look at another coffee company doing things well and i'm like right on i right. my only competitors are bad coffee and uh not not bad coffee in orange county california they're a great company but uh (laughs) coffee companies that are you know doing things on autopilot the farmer brothers of the world the um gavinas the the big box retailers that are missing the forest for the trees just like i'm sure your nemesis is monsanto and 
you know, those sorts of companies. We could, we could have hours of conversation about that. Yeah. And, but when I see another coffee company doing it well, and I can think of more of those than not doing it well, because they're the people I choose to, to aspire towards, um, you know, right. Cat and Cloud Coffee is super relational with their purchasing and they may not even have all the sustainability and long-term things, but they're still just doing it right because they're trying to run a business right. right you know, right. you've got uh, a dozen others that, that are doing the same thing. And even if they're just trying to follow the people who are doing it right, great. Who cares? Right. You know? Yeah. And not, not having the perception that that is competition, I think rings true across industries. Yeah. Cause even for myself, um, I might have answered my own question about um, sort of natural or organic coffee being sustainable and like questioning whether that's even possible. The answer comes in, well, if there are more, if there are more in number of farms that are producing a small scale, you know, good for the planet coffee, that, that will increase the scale. Yeah. It's not that we have to convert to a mass scaled coffee production to meet the demand because one of the problems that, that we're going to run into is that if i want all of america to drink sustainable coffee we're going to run out of supply yeah i mean that's just basic economics but if i encourage and like you you mentioned a couple of other coffee companies that are doing things well if we encourage other people to support a smaller scale more purpose-driven company um, that then will allow the demand to be met in more of a networked way. Yep, absolutely. Rather Slowly than a, but surely. a chain. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, my biggest achievements for this, my whole career in, in coffee are like, I have really good friends who I've switched from drinking coffee with a bunch of cream and sugar to drinking it black to, to really thinking about what they're doing. And those right. like one-offs, the people you can get from drinking a Keurig to drinking like coffee, not in a Keurig. It's like, I've gotten my father-in-law, I've gotten my neighbor, uh, you know, I have my list of people where like, and not by ba bashing them. It's just been like, right. here, let me give you a cup of coffee. And they're like, why is this so much better? Right. And mm. so, and, and to me, that's the other thing is, and, I, and I'm sure you're, you're encountering this is at the end of the day, you can't really have a, a one hour conversation with every one of your customers. So it just needs to be better without explaining it. Right. Yes. It, there, ha I, I agree. There should be something intangible, intangible that is, that is very quickly perceived as better. Right. Like that quality and in the instant and in the customer experience and the quality in the end cup for coffee. Um, the same thing for any products that we have from our farm like I could talk all I want about how, you know, naturally I raised my chickens, but if people cook the chicken and they don't taste a difference immediately, it was all hype. But they will. Well, and they all have. And <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, that's probably the biggest difference. I could taste right. like from, from foster farms chicken to like a, a, a sustainably raised, like actually cage free chicken is a completely different flavor. Yeah. It's and like that's what we keep hearing animal. back. Like, exactly. It's not, it's not even the same animal. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's very encouraging to hear that. And coffee uh, is the same. Coffee is exactly yeah. the same, right? You can get this big box, you know, you, you could taste 
the, the coffee I went to on a vacation recently, and I just drank coffee wherever we were at. And some right. of them were not the worst, but it's like, oh, there's a clear difference between the people right. who are doing it right and care and the people who are not doing it right and don't care. Right. It's just a big difference. Um, what, do, what, do, what do we do, David? Let's, let's get a little <laughs> bit personal. Let's get nitty gritty. Yep. What do we do when it's when when you run into the uh, I, I, for lack of a better term, when you go into a coffee shop and it seems as though they don't care? Uh, yeah, it's it's hard. How do we like I want because I there's something that I think um, philosophically, I want a lot of things in my world to change, mm. but I refuse to push that change on somebody else. And because I can't control anybody else. So if I want something to change, I have to be responsible for that change. Yeah. No, that's, so, that's a great way I to mean, think about it. You have a very obvious, tangible, you're, you're, you're being part of the solution. I'm trying to be. Um, and, and you are, uh, I mean, gosh, all I can do is, is again, each day raise the standard a bit higher, right? Like it can't, right. It's not going to happen all at once. And there's even a specific coffee company that's pretty popular. Well, I'll probably name on a future podcast, not on this one, because I'm, I'm, no, I'm not ready to do call out culture. But they're doing things all wrong, in my opinion. Right. Um, and it's not it's not a small independent, right? It's a, Is it's it an a, East Coast cop? Uh, East Coast company? No, it's West Coast. But oh. I'm sure there's an East Coast equivalent. There always is. <laughs> um and to me, we'll compare notes later. Yeah, we'll, we'll stop the recording and then I'll tell you what it is. Um, no, we will be we will be transparent about it. <laughs> and, and what I try to do even there is like, gosh, it's just like anything else I believe in. the The strongest beliefs I have, I can hold loosely because they're strong enough that they're not. I'm not going to lose them, right? Like, I don't, right. it's not something I need to hold on to with a tight grip. So I'll just, you know, humbly and not like in an, in, in, you know, in an incendiary way, just say like, hey, you know, when I look for good coffee, I'm looking for traceability um, to the variety or I'm looking right. for uh, an ability for, um, you know, you to tell me all the secrets. Right. Because right. let me tell you all the secrets about Mungo Coffee. I'm about to give you everything. Oh, this is great. I, I got a pen out. I'm going to take a pen out. You can duplicate Moongo coffee with the, this small paragraph. This is great. You put people first. Mm -hmm. You put product second. You treat it like it is. It is the magical fruit of a tropical seed. <laughs> and then lastly, you keep your space and place organized because it's the foundation upon which you operate your business. And with that small window into what our values are, because we do force rank yeah. it, we say people, product, place, and mm -hmm. in one, two, three order, safety fourth. That's a, that's a joke, <laughs> but uh, safety, safety second. Um, the, then with those three pillars, that's, that is our secret. Our secret is to always bring back to making sure that we are ordering it in that manner and that you just try to do everything the right way. There's that is the yeah. secret, right? Of course, if you're doing that, you're going to try and make the right relationships with farmers. You're going to try and procure the right products and you're going to try and have a cool place with which to tell that story. But yep. again, that is the third priority. 
So even when sometimes our staff is, you know, worried about one thing, the flowers on the patio being dead and it's like, yeah, but, but is the coffee fresh? And then, but in, <laughs> and are the customers being taken care of? That is number one. Then number two, number three, yes, we need to have a system to make sure we water the plants. It'll break Josh's heart if we come in and have dead plants. <laughs> but I'll be severely disappointed. That's the secret is to do that. And and so when you said like, hey, th- these might be some company like secrets, it's like, no, I'll tell anybody because if they try right. and mimic what we're doing without having the value structure and without doing it in the right order in the right way, they're going to fail. Right. Right. So I'm not even, wor- you know, it's not that I'm not worried. I, I want people to try and source the best coffee they can. So if they well, can there's steal a, resources, go for it. Yeah. There's a lot of authenticity and there's a lot of transparency and having that viewpoint where you would almost be grateful or thankful if somebody else duplicated yep. moon goat in a different geographic area. Yep. Absolutely. Because if you were, living out your convictions not only personally but also for your business and you're doing things the way that that is good for people right it's good for farmers it's good for you know the bottom line then that should be duplicated yeah. people should see that and say oh wait that's possible let's go do that yep Absolutely. i feel like i feel like we had that opportunity um and i'll i'll start the call out call out culture here uh with joel salton in virginia Nice. Like he has one of his big uh, mottos is, you know, 365, 24 seven open door policy on a 300 acre farm. Mm. Anybody can come anytime. We have nothing to hide, see all of our animals, see our vegetables. Um, and they, you know, on the weekends they do guided tours and he was just, it's like he had no, like you said, you had a loose grip on your, on your strongly held beliefs. He had a, a loose grip on information. Mm. And we're in such an information age culturally where, you know, people are paying so much money for information. And yet there's this farmer out here who's essentially just giving it away for anybody that wants to come take it. Interesting. And it's creating this movement of people that are doing exactly what he's doing. And it's, you know, spawned sort of a a revival of well-practiced agriculture, well-practiced horticulture, and the other word that describes how you take care of animals. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what, uh, livestock care, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be more happy that we can have this conversation and you can, you know, honestly and openly say everything that we've just talked about for the last hour. Like yeah. it's, it's, I, I have so much respect for that. Well, and, and I'm was super glad to see the email because it was just a, a chance for me to pontificate about these points where it's like, otherwise <laughs> I don't have a reason to like bring up why I'm doing this. And, and that's, what's hard from a marketing perspective is like, gosh, people just want to see pretty pictures and yeah. like it. And but, it's like you and I both know, yes, that's there explicitly, but I think there's also something that we can agree on implicitly inside of people that there, there is a, a, a questioning or looking for like the deeper motivations. Oh, totally. And, and, and the, that's why yeah. this is a great medium because we can talk yep. for an hour about things that if somebody wants to listen to it, they will. And if, if they make it to this point, then they're a real trooper. 
But right. And the education aspect speak, speaks to not just like other business owners, because that would be great, but also anybody that's a potential client or customer. Totally. Like we want, we, we are in New Jersey for our farm. We want a more informed customer. Yeah. We want them to know everything that we're doing. So let's do this to, to round it out. Um, if, if I, I didn't give you the proper uh, introduction, I guess we'll stop the recording. We can, we can talk for five more minutes afterwards, but the, the question that I have to, to end questions, cause I was a bad podcast host and didn't ask you nearly enough questions. I thought you did a great job. Uh, is I had a lot of fun. Good, good, good. The, the last question is what is wild roots all about and what, you know, if you could tell everybody what they need to know in just a few minutes, you know, or a few seconds, what, what is it that they should know about what you're doing and how can they follow your story? Um, wow. I appreciate that. Um, I think to sum up what wild roots is all about, uh, begin with the idea of knowing your farmer, all of our, all of our t-shirts that we made, uh, we had our logo on the front and on the back. We just had the, that phrase, know your farmer. Um, and I think if you start there, you see that, we are all about bringing a connection back of where your food comes from to when you're eating it, how you're eating it. Um, so I have a background after high school, I went to culinary school. Um, so I learned how to prepare food. I loved it. I spent some time in Europe and did a bunch of other things. Um, learning coffee was one of them. And so I feel like this, this move into agriculture um, on a small scale because you know, we couldn't start at a big scale because it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. Land is so expensive. Infrastructure is expensive. And so we started with what we had um, and we started with what was available and some, some beautiful friends helped us out with that. And so we just, uh, yeah, tried to create a community around where our food comes from. That's awesome. I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of good that can be done with that. Uh, the transparency that I that I appreciated from you about talking about Mungo and you know even your sourcing, uh, we try to have that same transparency with how we raise our 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 meat birds for for chicken sales, uh, with how we grow our vegetables, and what that transparency does is, in essence, eliminate the need for regulate regulation from an outside source. Right. So we have the entire FDA, we have the USDA, um, we have state and municipal like all these different agencies that are um, created to keep people safe with how they interact with their food. Right. And one of the things that we believe is that you would not need any of that if you were able to have a conversation with the person growing your food. Totally. So, you know, anything that you're growing in your backyard, you know, what went in that, you know, you know, if it was attacked by insects yeah. or if, you know, it got the right amount of rain or, you know, if you wanted to put some sort of fertilizer on it or not. Um, yeah. So that's, that's another one of our, one of our big values. And like you said, putting people first. Um, I think that we, we try to embody that as well. Um, well and everything that we do. Of course, if you're in New Jersey, you can be a lot more connected, but uh, what, what can people do in California besides buy t-shirts, buy t-shirts, follow you on Instagram. <laughs> Um, following us on Instagram helps everybody that is on Instagram knows that the algorithm does weird things. And so exposure is great exposure for anybody that's, that's purpose driven, that's doing the right thing is great. It's helpful. 
the bottom line is our products, we have not yet um, formulated how to ship um, cross, it's not cross, is it cross continent? It's cross, cross country. country, yeah. Yeah, um, and also it kind of it kind of would violate something that we hold as a high priority of it being locally produced. Right. So um, I would I would say if you want to support our farm, find somebody doing the same sort of regenerative agriculture near you, close enough that you can drive to, introduce yourself, shake their hand, say thank you, say that you know you're, you're appreciative of what they're doing, and go and support the local guys. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and you know you can do that and that you know i guess the phrase is a rising tide raises all ships yep so the more people that we have that know about um and it might not even be farms it might be neighbors you know mm. it might be friends that have you know on the weekends they they garden and their garden is large large enough to feed 20 people yeah so you know it's great support that allow that to happen awesome. um that is definitely for, for anybody listening, that is definitely being part of the solution. Love it. And we appreciate it very much. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end it because we could talk for another hour for sure. However, that would be easy. Josh has a, has a life outside of talking to me and I have to pretend to work later today. Uh, <laughs> so if you did make it to the end, we appreciate you listening. And uh, this has been conversations we're already having with Moongo Coffee.